This past week, we had the opportunity with a couple of business associates. They took me out to uh, lunch to a Chinese restaurant, and uh, I was really surprised at how good the food was. And uh, I say surprised, I love Chinese food, but I was real surprised how good the food was because the name of the Chinese restaurant was Bob Murphy's Chinese Restaurant. <laughs> and, uh, and I was a little bit surprised by that. And, uh, and obviously, as I'm sitting there eating, all kind of thoughts are running through my mind. And so the guys that invited me said, hey, do you want to meet, you know, you want to meet Bob? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to meet Bob Murphy, the owner of a Chinese restaurant. And so they come walking out of the kitchen a little bit later, and they've got this gentleman with them, and he's an he's a older Chinese man. And he comes over and says, hi, my name's Bob Murphy. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and I'm thinking like you are, what, you know, what in the world? There's got to be a story here somewhere, right? And so Bob begins to tell us the story. I said, Bob Murphy, I mean, what's, what's the deal here? He said, when I first come to America, I go to immigration office. And uh, I stand in line, and the man in front of me goes in line. He goes up to desk. The man at desk asks him, what's your name? He says, my name Bob Murphy. So they write down Bob Murphy. They give him work permit. So I'm next. I come up, and the man at desk asks me, what's your name? I say, same thing. And he writes down Bob Murphy, and I'd be Bob Murphy ever since. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, that's kind of interesting. Uh, same, same thing. Same right. Bob, you wrote Bob Murphy down. Good. The, the scary thing is, it's going to get a little more difficult here as we go along this morning. It does get a little deeper than this. So, um, but I, I thought, you know, it's an interesting story, and it's kind of funny. Obviously, not as funny as I thought it was um, when I first heard it. But, um, but the interesting thing about it is, is that you know, there there are many of us who can relate to Sam Ting or Bob Murphy, whatever you want to call him, and that it's easier to go along with the system than it is to stand up for the truth. And that's really what's happening in our country today. There are many of us who are God's people who would rather just go with the flow to just go along with the system because here's what I hear people say all the time. <laughs> that's, that's the system. That's the way that it is. And I begin to wonder at times how much of the system that it's our responsibility to change. How much of the system that we should accept or how much of the system God wants us to change. I just wonder sometimes if we've lost the salt and we've lost being light and if we've lost being changing agents of God to change the, quote, system that other people accept or if it's easier to become all Bob Murphys and just get our work permits and be content on having somebody else identify who we are. And as we go through this, you'll begin to recognize what I'm trying to say because I think a lot of the question of where did our conscience go is illustrated in that story that I just told you. The world is trying to tell us who we are. And we go with the flow because it's easier than upholding the truth. The world tries to tell us what we're to do and what we're to be. And we say, oh, fine, as long as it's easier for me to get through this life. Where did our consciences go? I think a lot of it has to do with we've, gave, we've given away our identity. And we've taken a cheap substitute. We've all become Bob Murphys in our own way. And as we go through this, we're going to ask the question that we began to ask last week... And that is, 
the problem with identifying where our conscience is one has to do with answering the question of are there moral absolutes in our culture still today or is that just the system? I mean, how many of you have said that to yourself or answered that to another person? That's just the system. That's how the system works. That's the way that it is. And when we begin to do that, we begin to realize that there's something wrong with us as well as the system because the system is, quote, winning out and we're not doing anything about it. Are there moral absolutes? Are there things that are still right and still wrong? There is undoubtedly evil in the world and there is also good. The question is, how do you define what is good and how do you define what is bad? How do you define what is right and how do you define what is wrong? I can see evil in your life when you perpetrate it, but I can't see evil in my own life when I'm guilty of it. Something is wrong until we do it, then it's not wrong because you need to understand I'm different or the situation's different. But I, I also know that if you ask a person if they're good, most people say, I'm good. I try to be, quote, a good person. Well, who defines good? What you may define as good, I may define as bad. What I may define as, as bad in your life, you may think you're being good because you should have seen how you used to be. And as good as you are now, or as good as you think you are, you knew you were a lot worse then. So you're no longer bad in your own mind or evil in your own mind because you have progressed to a point where you don't do some of the things you used to do, so you're no longer as bad as you used to be. So what is good and what is bad? What is right and what is wrong? How do you define all of these things? It begins to be very difficult at times to understand right and wrong, good and bad. Is it good because it's good for everybody? The common good, they say. Is it because we all agree? And that makes it right. Maybe we voted on it, and that made it right. Is it right because we voted it right or wrong because we voted it wrong? And haven't we voted things right in the past that now we say we're wrong, and in hindsight we look back and say those were wrong, and now we want to make that right? But they were right when we voted it right. Is something right because it's illegal? That's another interesting question. And we sit and I go through my mind of all these things that have been legal or are legal in our country today, and I ask you this question. Is it right because it's legal? There was a time where slavery was legal in our country. In hindsight, we look back and say that was one of the heinous things that ever took place in the history of our, of our culture and our society. But at the time, it was legal, it was right. A slave couldn't own property. Women couldn't vote. Japanese, were, Japanese Americans were rounded up during World War II and their property was taken from them and they were put in intern camps. That was legal. That was right. In Nazi Germany, it was right to exterminate anyone who was a Jew or a Pole. And it was, it was legal to go and say, I want your house now. And I can take all your property and everything that you own. And it was legal to do that. As I watched Schindler's List and as I watched the, the saga of Roots when I was growing up, I watched these things, and, and didn't something in your conscience say, there's something wrong with this picture? I mean, how many of you can identify? There's something wrong with this. There's something not right. Where did our consciences go? What happened to that voice within us that said, this is wrong, there's something wrong here? As you go through all of this, you have to ask a question. Divorce is legal. Abortion's legal. Alcohol consumption is legal to a certain limit. And it's legal if you're 18 in some states, but it's illegal if you're 18, 19, or 20 because it's only legal if you're 21. So it's legal to drink if you're 21, 
in one state and it's illegal in another state. And so I knew people in Pennsylvania that would drive to West Virginia because it was legal in West Virginia, but it was illegal in Pennsylvania. But then it was only legal if you dr drank up to a certain limit because then you had to drive back from West Virginia to Pennsylvania. Prostitution is legal, but only in certain geographic locations. Gambling is legal, but only in Vegas, Atlantic City, and if you're on a boat so far off the coast, or if you're at a card club or playing bingo, or if you buy lottery tickets. So it's kind of legal, but it's kind of not legal. It just depends on where you are and what you're doing. Pornography is legal. Bankruptcy is legal. In our business as a contractor, it's legal for someone not to pay you if you don't file the proper legal paperwork in the periods of time in which you have to file it legally. So if I don't notify you that I have a right on your property because we're improving it, and if you don't pay me and I don't file a lien on your property within a certain amount of time, and then if I don't perfect the lien within a certain amount of time, if I mess up anywhere along the line, you legally don't have to pay your bills. That's legal. Dr. Kevorkian, if he has his way, it'll be legal for euthanasia to become legal in our country. If the Secretary of Health and Human Services and the Surgeon General of the United States currently have their way, then all forms of sexual activity, including homosexuality, sex with minors, and drugs will become legal. The ACLU supports legalization of child pornography, tax exemption for Satanism, legalization of prostitution, abortion on demand, mandatory sex education in schools, which they will then put together the program of what they will teach legally our children. They also believe in forced busing of children, automatic entitled probation, and the legalization of polygamy. What if it became illegal to go to church? What if it became illegal to own a Bible? What if it became illegal for us to meet like we meet? Would then that make it immoral if we did it or illegal if we did it? Does making something legal make it moral or, or immoral because it's illegal? See, we've got all kinds of problems. Is an act made moral because it's legal? Here's the best one going on now. This is the greatest. This cracks me up. Tanya Harding sues the International Olympic Committee because... She doesn't agree with their code of ethics. So now if you keep me from competing, I will sue you for $25 million. So now the ethic committee gets together and says, oh my, we're being sued. Guess what we have to do now? We throw our ethics committee out the window. There is no longer a code of ethics or conduct anymore that's becoming of a United States citizen who represents our country in the Olympics. This isn't a matter of whether she is guilty by law because we're all entitled to due process. But understand what I'm trying to say. This is a code of ethics that she agreed to when she participated in these events. She violated that by not giving forth the information that she understood, even if it was after the fact. The fact is she withhold evidence after she knew that she had it and didn't come forward. It violated the code of ethics. Should she compete based on the code of ethics? Absolutely not. But now she's going to because they're afraid they're going to get sued for $25 million. You see what's happening in our culture today? The Boy Scouts, we must eliminate God and any reference of God in the Boy Scouts of America because we may be sued by somebody who's offended by us believing in God. And because we're afraid to be sued, I'm going to become Bob Murphy. You see what's happening here? we got a serious problem. 
and we're throwing our ethics and morality out the window because we live in a, in a country that is so sue-happy and prone to sue that now we no longer stand for anything that's right or wrong because we're afraid to be sued because of it. The sad truth in our society is that he who believes the most must give way to he who believes the least, who now gives way to he who believes nothing, all because they're afraid to be sued for what you believe. And it's going to get worse, and it's not going to get any better if we all become Bob Murphys. We live in a society that's walking down a dangerous path. We're walking down a path where there are no moral absolutes, there are no absolute truth that tells us how we're supposed to live. And without a moral consensus, everyone will decide in their own eyes what is right and what is wrong. And when that happens, we live in a state of anarchy. Isaiah said, Woe to him who calls right wrong and wrong right. And that's the society we live in today. Could you imagine living in a land where you will choose whether you want to stop at a red light or not? I mean, that's a dangerous thought. Here's a great story. There's a guy who's out, and he's a driver's ed teacher. He's taking this kid out for driver's education lessons. They're driving down the street. They come to a red light. The kid hits the gas pedal and flies through the intersection. Driver's ed teacher has a heart attack. What are you doing? He goes, hey, that's the way my brother drives. They go a couple of miles, and they get another red light. He goes, man, he slams on the gas. He goes through the red light again. The guy goes, what are you doing? He said, that's the way my brother drives. They go a little further, and they get another red light, and he goes flying through it again. And the guy's going, what in the world? He goes, that's the way my brother drives. So they're driving down the road. Two miles later, come to green light. The kid hits the brake, slams on his brakes. The guy almost goes through the windshield. I said, no, what are you doing? The kid goes, it's 4 o'clock, and I'm afraid my, mother, my brother might be coming home from work. I mean, that, that's, that's the society that we're living in. It's insane. Can we all choose to do what we want to do? I love this quote. Ravi Zacharias was speaking to a group of students at Princeton University. And here's what he said. The student came up to him and said, Dr. Zacharias, I understand from my professors that historically every culture has determined its own value system. Why shouldn't we as individuals be able to determine our own value system? Zacharias replied and said, you know what? You certainly can. Throughout history, some cultures have believed that neighbors should love one another. Other cultures believe that neighbors should eat one another. Where do you prefer to live? That's a great point. That's a great point. The question that we have to ask ourselves as we go through this, the foundation, the foundation of our legal system and the roots of morality are really founded in the Ten Commandments. That's the foundation of the legal system that we live in today. And the Judeo-Christian heritage of the Ten Commandments, a belief that standards of morality have been set and established by God himself. A standard that is set and established by God. Our elected officials should not be sitting around trying to determine or to change the absolute standards, but should govern us within the framework of these absolutes that are established by the ultimate authority, who is God Almighty himself. We have no business messing with absolutes because they're absolute. We don't change the absolute standards that God has established in the areas of aerodynamics, in the areas of thermodynamics. We don't change the absolute law of gravity because we don't feel like it should apply to us. You don't stand on a 20-story building, jump off of it, flap your arms, and say, I think I can fly. I think I'll change this absolute standard. Our feelings change daily. The point of the matter is, as you begin to plummet to the earth, you'll feel like this. There is something seriously wrong. I miscalculated. Those absolute standards do not change. 
God's moral laws are absolutes just as equal as his physical laws of the universe, and they do not change because we try to vote them to change. You will never, we will never get together collectively and vote that we're not going to be su- you know, subject to gravity anymore. See, what's the funny thing is we all accept that as a society because it can't change, but yet we believe somehow we can change these moral standards that God has established, these absolutes that have to do with human behavior, and think we can vote and change it, and the majority of people can do whatever we want to do, and we can change all these things. It's nonsense. It's foolishness. And you know what? It's just as rebellious to do that as it was for the people in the days of Babel to try to build a tower that God said don't build. We're trying to change it. The Bible clearly teaches in Romans 3.20 that it's by the law of God comes forth the knowledge of sin. Morality is determined by the law of God and not by the opinions of man. God did not invite Moses and a committee to come up to Mount Sinai to decide what was right and wrong. If I understand the passage correctly, which we're going to read, God established it and gave it to him and said, this is it. No committee was formed. Moses wasn't consulted. None of us were consulted because I think God felt like He didn't really need us to decide what was right and wrong. And so if if you've got your Bibles, it'll be interesting to see. Romans 13 also says this, that all authority is established by God because there's no other authority except whom? God. God establishes authority. It's a question of authority. You see, parents have authority over their children because God establishes that authority. Employers have, have authority over their employees because that's the established authority by God. Government and law enforcement has, a st- has authority over society because that's the way God set it up. Now, all of these do not determine what is right and what is wrong. They govern within the framework that God has already established. That authority is passed on from God, but the ultimate authority is God. So although there are over 600 commandments of God in the Old Testament in the first five books, which the Jews call the, the Torah, if you look at, at, with me at Exodus chapter 20, we're going to take a look at the Ten Commandments. I mean, how many people even know what they are? Do you know what they are? I mean, seriously, raise your hand. Do you know what the Ten Commandments are? If somebody asks you right now, 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 be careful, raise your hand now, because if we have a little pop quiz, I mean, could you, do you even know where to find it, and would you know what they are to write them down? Now, I want to go through this because it's critical in our understanding of the problem that we're dealing with in our culture as far as, far as morality is concerned. In Exodus chapter 20, we find in verse 1 the beginning of this passage that we know as the Ten Commandments. We read this. Then God spoke all these words. There's no question who established them. There's no question as to who the authority is that laid out the Ten Commandments. God spoke all these words with nobody else's help. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Number two. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. 
Now, let me break this out. The first four commandments clearly have to do with the existence and the identity and the character of God himself. This is the foundation upon which everything is based. God establishes this as he goes through. The next six that we'll see build upon this foundation. But you know what's interesting? A lawyer came to Jesus one day and he said, he said uh, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Because he knew there were over 600 in the law alone. And he knew all of the history that was here. And I was like, let's just cut to the chase. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus looked at him and said, you know what? That, that, you know, that's a good question. Because the greatest commandment is this. That you will love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's the greatest commandment. This is the first four commandments. He said, you will love God. That's represented in these four. The next thing he said was, and the second is just like the first, and that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in these two commandments that he gave, all of the law is summed up. And we can see that in the Ten Commandments. The first four, love God. Because if you love God, then the rest of these make sense. If you do not agree with his authority in your life, nor do you love him, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If you do not love God, then what he's about to build upon will make no sense to you either. It's a reflection of our love of God, whether we're obedient to the commandments of God. First four have to do with loving God. The next six have to do with loving our neighbor. Verse 4, as he goes through, and it's interesting because it, it says, I am the Lord your God. God exists. The downfall of any civilization is when we begin to remove God from our society. God exists. We're accountable to God. His authority reigns forever and ever. Amen. The bottom line with the theory of evolution is it tries to eliminate the existence of God. The bottom line with the theory of secular or the religion of secular humanism is that it removes the existence of God. We're doing everything that we can within the power of those who are trying to make this truth take place to eliminate the existence of God. And as a, as a result, we then eliminate his authority in, his, in our life. And as a result, everything else that he's going to talk about will make no sense and it all fall into disarray because God is preeminent and he comes first. So he says, get rid of that. The problem is, as you go through it, situational ethics are the same thing. We've done everything in the last 30 years in our country to remove God from our society. And let me just, let me just lay something on those of you who are about 55 years and older. It is your fault that there is no longer prayer in the public school. 1963, when prayer was eliminated from public school, it is your fault because you were in a position where you could have said something but y'all became Bob Murphy's. And that indictment will carry through to me, and my children will indict me if I do not step up and be heard of the things that are going on in our culture today. I will be just as guilty as you. It's your fault. Because you said nothing. You did nothing. Because you said that's just the system that we live in. Let's go on a little further. He goes on and says in the fourth one, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You know, it's amazing to me. And he gives us a reason for it. Because six days you'll work, six days you shall labor and do your work, the seventh you're going to rest. And God says, because in six days I created the universe, on the seventh day I rested, I set a precedent here. You know, it's interesting to me, and this is the way that it slowly deteriorates in our culture. When I was a kid growing up, we had blue laws in Pennsylvania. I don't know if they ever did in California or not. But blue laws meant on Sunday everything was closed. Why? 
Here's why. It's rooted in the Ten Commandments. Because on the seventh day, we would rest and we would recognize the existence and the authority of God. We would recognize that He's our Creator. We would recognize His authority and would be obedient by closing down on Sundays to honor Him. And that's what it boiled down to. You know, what's interesting to me is there's no longer any blue laws anymore, is there? Why? Because God doesn't exist in our culture, that's why. So why would we rest on Sunday and honor Him and recognize His existence if we're doing everything we can to say that He's not real? But this is, just thir- this is just 30 years ago. This isn't like, you know, 200 years ago. This is recent. These are recent developments. And the purpose of it all is to eliminate the existence of God from our culture. You see what happened around here? I mean, it, it, it's not going to be long before, hey, we're not, we're not going to recognize Christmas, and we're not going to recognize Easter anymore. And as you can see in our culture, even in California, and I'm not sure if this is the same everywhere else, but you can go, and it's just like any other day of the week anymore. Sundays are no different than the rest of the week, and Christmas will be no different than the rest of the year, and neither will Easter or anything else that's significant as far as our honoring and recognizing the existence of God in our life. And it's a violation of this commandment. Let's go on and see how it all falls apart from there. Four and six days in verse 11. Okay, uh, commandment number five. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord God gives you. Honor your father and mother. Very clearly teaches what? Respect for parents. Very clearly teaches the authority of parents in the family situation. And you know what kind of nonsense we have going on now? In our first lady is responsible for much of it, and we need to tell it the way it is. She, is. she is proactively moving for child's rights throughout our country that eliminate any parental consent on anything that your children do. She is moving toward allowing children to sue their parents, all under the name of child rights. And it's a deceptive distortion of the truth of the Word of God, which says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, Ephesians 6, 1, for this is right before God. That's the kind of stuff that's happening. And it's subtle, and it slowly creeps into your life. And before you know it, we've got kids divorcing their parents. And who's going to decide whether a parent should be divorced from their children? You know who? These same judges and the same lawyers that are deciding that pornography is legal, that are deciding that prostitution is legal, that are deciding that gambling is legal, that are deciding that polygamy will be legal. These are the same people that are deciding all this is legal, and we've already asked the question, just because it's legal doesn't make it moral? Absolutely not. Do you see what's happening here? Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord God has given you. Well, let's go on. What else can we violate? How about you shall not murder? I don't know what you call abortion. If that's not premeditated murder, I don't know what is. And the problem is even our culture. Let's take it a step beyond that. Premeditated murder? I can go and buy a gun, and I can choose to kill you, and I'll murder you, and if I can come up with a good enough story about why I did what I did, then I'll get off the hook because there's some sympathetic juror that's going to say... Oh, my goodness, that poor kid. What a crummy background that he had. Now, I don't know. How many of you grew up with Ozzie and Harriet? May I ask that question? I mean, you grew... No, no. You grew up watching Ozzie and Harriet. Did you grow up with Ozzie and Harriet? No. How many of you can say you had some difficulties growing up? Can I see your hand? You are all potential murderers in our society. 
See, that's the problem, right? No, seriously, that's the problem, man. I'm telling you what, if you can give me one good reason why you should bump off somebody who's giving you a hard time, in our culture, you can premeditatively murder somebody now and get away with it. But that's not the word of God. God says you shall not murder. And if you decide to do it, premeditated murder, a life for life. Why? Because God highly values human life. You see what's happening? Thou shalt not murder, but we do all the time. And we do it, and there's no value. And then we wonder why we've got a generation of kids who have no value for human life. We wonder why we have a generation of kids who have no respect for authority in a classroom, on a football field, uh, on, a, on a sporting field, who have no respect for police officers today or law enforcement or government, who have no respect for pastors and teachers. We wonder why we, we've got a society of kids that have no respect. What have we been teaching them for the last 20 years? They're not worthy of respect. They're not worthy of life. They're sludge. They crawled out of the ooze. How much can that be worth? You see what's happening? It goes on. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Oh, but you, you don't understand. She doesn't meet my needs. He doesn't meet my needs. I mean, you don't know my, what, situation. I don't care what your situation is. You shall not commit adultery. What part of that don't you understand? I mean, this is hard. That's why I love God. It's like, here it is. You shall not commit adultery. What don't you understand? What word? You. That's not too big. Not. All right. You shall not murder. See, these aren't that tough. I like this. I think God had me in mind when he wrote these. Oh, here's another complicated one. You shall not steal. What does that mean? What do you think it means? You don't take something that's not yours. That's what it means. You shall not steal, right? But see, if you file bankruptcy, because that's legal. That's really not stealing because that's legal. I'm going to ask you a question. If you've ever been a creditor in a bankruptcy proceeding, somebody that's owed you money that filed bankruptcy, if you go talk to these people invested in all these savings and loans and these real estate scams and all the officers of these savings and loans and all the rest of these perspectives that they put together real nice and fancy so people that have their life savings would invest in these things, and you saw where they lived, and you saw how much money they made, and you saw the millions of dollars in salary and bonuses that they took. And then when it all fell apart, they said, oh, I'm sorry, we made a mistake. And they filed bankruptcy, and they're protected by our system. You go and you talk to people that lost money like that, and you ask them this question. Do you feel like someone stole something from you? What are they going to say? Absolutely. But it's legal and immoral. God says, the wicked borrow and do not repay. Pay your debts, says the Lord. 
Man, I see people doing so many gymnastics in our culture. I see people that understand this system better than anybody ever could, and they use it, and they manipulate it, and they use it to their advantage, and all they're doing is they're stinking legalized thieves is what they are. But don't be deceived, folks. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Payday one day. God's not mocked by any of this nonsense of semantics and legalization of this and that. God's not mocked by any of this nonsense that we find ourselves in today. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. What don't you understand about that? Number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his servants or his ox or his donkey. And I guess today it would be his Rolex and his Mercedes. I don't know. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's stuff. Why? Because when you covet it, you end up stealing it. Because our sin life always begins in our thought life, and our thoughts always precede our actions. That's, you know what that, in simple terms, it means this. When you see somebody else that has it, you shouldn't be saying, I want it because they have it. I didn't know I needed it until I saw they have it. <laughs> then I clearly recognize this thing missing in my life. God says, man, you know what? It's greed. That's all that it is. When I covet what somebody else has, I'll find a way to rationalize it and justify it and come up with some situational ethic that will allow me to be disobedient to the Word of God. It all starts right here. I see your wife. Nice. I see your stuff. Hmm. I start to think about it. I start to dwell on it. And the next thing you know, it's going to happen. But God said, Chuck, don't be deceived by any of that nonsense because these are absolute standards. These are absolute morals of God that are established throughout all of eternity and they're not going to change because I want to vote them to be something different. What's the purpose of the law? And we'll close on this. The purpose of the law is to show every one of us that it is absolutely impossible to obey everything that God demands of our life to be right before him. That's the purpose of the law. Peter writes in Galatians, I mean, Paul writes in Galatians, he says, you know, the purpose of the law is a tutor that leads us to Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to ask you this question. Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever dishonored your parents as you were growing up? Have you ever done any of those things? The Bible says if you have, then you are guilty of the law. And that one offense is enough to separate you from God for all of eternity. And you look at it and go, man, that blows me away. Because there's no way then I'll ever get to heaven if it meant just doing that one wrong thing. And God says, that's exactly the point. You will never get to heaven if you think you can do it on your own. The purpose of the law is to teach society that we need something greater than ourselves. And that is that we need a Savior from our sins. That's the purpose of the law. Because there's none righteous, no, not one. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The purpose of these Ten Commandments and every law that God has given is to show us that we cannot be pleasing to God in and of ourselves. There's nothing that we can do. And the Bible clearly teaches we need a Savior. And that's Jesus Christ, our Lord. When you and I turn to Him for forgiveness of sin, the Bible says that we are made right before God for all of eternity because of what Jesus did, not because we've obeyed everything in the law because it's impossible to do it. We need a Savior. 
What's the root problem of the degeneration of morality in our culture? Very simple. Is that we need to turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. We need to turn to God in repentance. God had an answer for the nation of Israel to their moral catastrophe, and he said this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, he said, Then I will hear them from heaven, and I will then forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, to save you from sin and from hell and from judgment of God, that's something that you need to get straight between, him and God, between you and God. For those of us that know Jesus Christ, it's time that we turn to him, that we humble ourselves and we pray once again and we seek his face and we seek his word and we seek to be obedient to the word of God, that we just don't go along with the system because it's the easiest thing to do because it'll be, we will be indicted by our children and their children for being disobedient to the word of God. God, help us not to allow our kids to grow up in a culture that 20 years from now, if we don't say something about it, will include all of these things that we just talked about as a normal way of doing business and conducting life in America. God, help us to understand that the Word of God is true. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of every one of our hearts. And we need to ask for forgiveness where we've been wrong. And we need to step up and stand up and uphold the truth. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time to be together. Thank you for your word. God, help us as we look to see the direction that we need to go, that uh, all authority is established by you, that your word is true, that your word is relevant, that is the same yesterday, today, and for all of eternity. You tell us that only the word of God and the souls of people last forever. God, we just pray that we will uphold the truth. We will not take the easy road, the comfortable road, the one that makes it the easiest for us just to go on without having to confront, but that we will do what we can, that we will be used by you, that we will step up and be heard, and that we will change this system back to one that honors you, gives you glory, gives you praise, and is an obedience to you. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.